Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If we buy something for 200000 every year for 10 years, in 10 years I'm going to have $2 million in property. Well, I kind of achieved that in three years. So I thought, okay, well, my next target's $5 million, then $10 million, then $15 million, then $20 million. And we just kept, you know, I never told my husband these goals because he'd, he'd have a heart attack. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, I'm speaking with Dawn Canali who brought her financial experience to her husband's business in strawberry farming and began investing in property to set herself up for retirement. Now, she has amassed over $23 million worth of property and is still working full speed ahead. Kanali is a serial entrepreneur with many hats, student, farmer, mother, accountant and property investor. I've been a strawberry farmer for about 23 years. My husband um, grew up on the strawberry farm in the Yarra Valley. So I have an accounts background as well and a diploma in financial planning. Um, I'm pretty much self-taught multimillionaire in property learning from books and other successful people. And um, I've accumulated over $23 million in property, returning over a million dollars in rental income, plus running a successful strawberry farm seven days a week. And I have two amazing teenage daughters, aged 16 and 18. So, what does a multi-millionaire with a strawberry farm do in any given day? At the moment, it's not really strawberry season. So, um, this actually, this year I've taken a, a year off. It's like a gap year, so I'm studying. So, I'm doing lots of research and study to actually write my own book. Um, so, I get up 6.30 in the morning and it's pretty much go, go, go with family life and studying until I go to bed at night. Wow. <laughs> what are you currently studying? I'm doing a um, I love real estate course with a lady called Dittner Bohol and I've been doing that for about three or four years. So uh, I'm a platinum member in that. Um, so we have you know monthly meetings and seminars all year round. Uh, and I'm also doing lots of other seminars as well. So life coaching, I've done NLP. Um, I'm doing a Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within next month. Uh, I've, I've just done lots of seminars this year. If one comes up and I'm available, I, I just go to everything. You, know, you never stop learning. So um, I just want to learn everything, um, you know, and, and just help people by putting it all in a book. 
I just want to cater to the younger generation, actually, um, where they're still like a nice young sponge that want to learn. And I have a bit of a motto that uh, if um, I'm happy to help anybody who's prepared to help themselves. So if they, I get a lot of people come to me as a mentor and, um, yeah, I just give them some advice on what to do and how to do it. And, uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. I found that's kind of my calling at the moment, which is why it's kind of inspired me to write a book as well. Born in the country, Kanali's family moved constantly when she was a child, which was something which shaped her into the person she is today. Uh, my father was in the Air Force, uh, so we moved around a lot. And by the time I'd moved here on the farm, I'd moved house 15 times. Um, yeah, we just moved around a lot. Um, I was a Victorian champion in karate when I was 15. I trained six days a week. Uh, I was a year 12 school captain. And all of this has kind of taught me a lot of discipline and to be very adaptive in life. I always feel like I'm a bit of a black sheep because you're always changing schools and having to, you know, build rapport with people and become friends with them, which has made me, um, I find it's really easy to meet people now. And like even all these seminars I go to, I love networking and meeting new people and sitting near new people. And, and even with the I Love Real Estate group that I'm with, I try to sit near different people every time. Um, and don't just sit in your comfort zone, you know. You get just go, okay, I'm going to meet 10 new people today and you just go and meet different people. So, and and I, I find that really easy. I actually enjoy it. With an enforced military lifestyle as a child, she's now happy to invoke some of those elements into her own household. Yeah, well, my mum... Because um, uh, dad was away a lot, um, my mum kind of had to control the whole house. She handled all the finances and, yeah, she really took control, which is kind of like what I do in my life now. <laughs> I'm the one who handles all the all the finances and controls the kids and a little bit of that military style with the children as well, which I like. Um, but it teaches them discipline. Like, my kids are real tough when it comes to that, especially being on a farm as well. Um, I, I think it just sets you up for life. Like you just, you're virtually telling them it's not negotiable. This is what you got to do, and um, you know they fight it a bit when they're younger. But now they're older, they're just so strict in their own um, discipline, which is amazing. Like their work ethic is amazing for 16 and 18 year olds to just know there's jobs to do and they just go and do it. I, I really love seeing it now. Like all the the hard work when you're a mum pushing your children um, and then you see it paying off when they're young adults is really rewarding. A lot of education starts at home. It's not just at school. So if you can, you know, teach them to have good beliefs, you know, not limiting beliefs, um, it, it sets them up for life and that discipline I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying physical discipline. I'm just saying mental discipline that sets them up for life. And just say, look, it's not negotiable. People don't. You know, not everyone likes doing the jobs they do. You know, you just got to suck it up and do it. And um, they're, you know, like they're doing really well at school. My my oldest daughter's at university, and she's just finding it really easy. She is studying photography. 
but her work ethic is amazing, and she's got a, had her own business for two years, even while she was doing Year Twelve. And um, I mean, I'll, I'll I can talk a little bit about that later, but just you know, her attitude to towards working and not being afraid to make phone calls and reaching out and getting business. And she's eighteen. In terms of real estate, there was a strong influence from her parents stemming from when Canali was a child. My mum would buy a house and always went for a bigger, better house. And she'd explain how, oh, you know, we sold this place for 115000 and then we went and bought this house that's, you know, five squares bigger in a better location and we built it for only $10,000 more. So you see the value um, in properties and like sometimes my dad had just come home and there's a for sale sign out the front of the house and he'd be like what are you doing he'd say, oh I found this really nice house it's bigger and better and, and all of a sudden we're moving again but but each time like she gained equity and, and my brother turned out to be a builder so she started you know taking advantage of that as well it's like oh you can build us a bigger and better house and you know, so seeing that, um, yeah, I suppose that was probably my first thing of um, experience with property, seeing how, you know, you you can gain that equity in, in houses by building and, yeah, that, that was probably the start. But due to a lack of information, her mother brought property for their family home rather than to build an investment portfolio. What she had said to me, she wished she knew you know, all this kind of information years ago. But um, I think the majority of people just think of their, their PPR, their, you know, their home as an investment and it's not. Um, to me, an investment is something that provides an income. Um, and But my mum um, and a lot of other people tend to think that their house is an investment and um, they put everything into their house and they don't need anything else. But, um, you know, what are you going to do? Take a brick off to eat it when you want to retire? You know, it doesn't work like that. Before she began property investing, Canali undertook many different jobs where she became familiar with large figures. When I was at school, my first job, I really wanted to be in the stock market. I loved the buzz of that. But that's when the crash happened. So I, I actually had a job lined up and that got cancelled. So then I thought, oh, if I try and go through the finance arena through a bank or something, I might still get to the stock market. So my first job was actually in a bank at Card Services and Head Office in South Melbourne. Then um, I, an opportunity came up to change to a construction company for double the income, so I took that pretty quickly. Um, then that company went broke. Um, went into receivership. So then I worked for another construction company as a personal assistant for an estimator, which was very interesting. Uh, then I worked for Fletcher Jones, head office of accounts receivable, then Cussons um, for doing accounts payable. And one thing I found working in, in lots of different industries is they're all like an apprenticeship to life. You learn little bits out of each job and it kind of helps you with your, you know, your your financial journey, um, and it also helps you with your money vocabulary. I I always use this term money vocabulary. I don't know if I've stolen it off anyone, but I use it a lot. I thought I created it, but anyway, 
So I kind of think of it as your money vocabulary, like dealing with lots of money. Like when I worked for customs doing accounts payable, I was paying over $20 million a year in checks. So when you're seeing that kind of money turning over all the time and, you know, like budgets of, say, $14 million in advertising every year, and you know, it just makes you think of money a little bit differently as opposed to just dealing in your $500 paycheck every week and how you're going to budget that, you know. So I always say your money vocabulary, like when you're so used to hearing millions of dollars in figures that it's not unusual for you to start thinking in those terms. Like my kids, I I make them aware of the, you know, the million-dollar properties and the, the hundreds of thousands of dollars in rent each one gives you and loans that you're taking so they're familiar with these kind of figures all the time yeah I I think that's really important bring her knowledge of finance to her husband's business Kanali then entered into strawberry farming at a young age what year I think I was about 24 oh still very young (laughs) yeah yeah I I, my my husband wanted me to quit my job to uh, work on the farm and and um, and I, at the time, they, they weren't making a hell of a lot of money. They only had a couple of staff. But because I'd worked for big corporate companies at hundreds and or thousands of staff, and they had four staff, and I said, well, you know what? I'm kind of earning $50,000 a year at the moment at that age, which was excellent. I did have three jobs. but um, And I said, well, if I'm going to quit my job, you kind of have to – plant a few more strawberries to cover my income plus do your income. So um, I said, I'm not quitting until, you know, until you do that. So then he started expanding. And um, like the old school Italian farmers don't like paying for wages and they try to do everything themselves, manual labour. It was hard backbreaking stuff. And, and I'd say to him, why are you doing that? Isn't there a machine some kind of implement you can put on the back of a tractor to do that. What are you doing it by hand for? So I kind of came in looking at the big picture and they were so programmed to do everything manually that um, he'd say, oh, yeah, but that would cost me $1,500. I go, honey, it's tax deductible. What are you doing? Look at how much time you're wasting doing it. You know, buy the, buy the implement, will you? Um, so I started making him think in a different way. So he started buying more tractors, more you know, more implements, putting on more staff, expanding the business. And from from back then, he's actually got over ten times bigger than what he was then. Um, and every and everything back then, you kind of like paid cash for it. And whereas I've taught him like leveraging, getting loans for things, and. Um, using them to your advantage. Um, that, that's mainly in property. I mean, I wouldn't get loans for basic stuff on the farm, but um, tractors definitely. Why not lease it? You know. So we started started doing things like that over a three year period. Um, whereas before, they'd have to save up to actually buy it. I said, honey, sometimes the bank is your friend. If you use it to your advantage, and you 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 disciplined in what you buy even credit cards are good i don't pay one cent in interest on my credit card and i probably use probably 10 to twenty thousand dollars a month on my credit card coming up after the break 
We'll delve into Canale's property investing journey and how she got started as an investor. So we bought our first property um, back in 1998 when I was five months pregnant. And I remember saying to my husband about buying a property. I said, oh, you know, I want to start buying. And uh, he said, no, 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 I don't like loans. I don't want to do this. How she grew her portfolio? If we buy something for 200000 every year for 10 years, in 10 years, I'm going to have $2 million in property. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shump and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, podcast listeners, are you enjoying listening to these stories and want more? Then head over to propertyinvestory.com and subscribe to receive your free property case studies that I only send exclusively via email. Just one of the many benefits of being part of this community. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, their strategies and much more. Simply visit propertyinvestory.com to get your free case studies. Now back to the show. Kanali was looking for a method to sustain herself and her husband in the future retirement without the pressure to have to continue to work on the strawberry farm in their old age. So they began to discuss property investing. The first property we, we bought, um, as, as I said, I could see farming was hard, hard work and I didn't really want my husband um, doing that when he was in his 70s and living off a, a measly pension. Um, so I thought, well, if we can get some properties going and some rental income coming in, hopefully replace our income, then we won't have to work so hard. So that was my my strategy. Plus, we were paying tax, and I thought, how can I minimise our tax? So there was two two things there. So we bought our first property um, back in 1998 when I was five months pregnant, and I remember saying to my husband about buying a property, I said, oh, you know, I want to start buying. And uh, he said, no, 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 I don't like loans. I don't want to do this. And I said to him, honey, you either do it with me or so I'm going to do it on my own. And I was pregnant at the time and he's like, okay, well, if you're pregnant and you're that strong about it, we'll start looking. So we bought our first place in Ringwood, um, Victoria, and um, we did all our due diligence this place in Ringwood, we knew the freeway was going to come through in years to come, so we went to council and made sure that we were in a safe area, it wasn't going to get taken off us. Um, So we purchased this one particular block, um, knowing down the track it could have a commercial benefit to it because it was the last property right on the freeway. And um, as it turned out... um, uh, Eastlink actually liked the property as well and built their head office on it. So they did compulsory acquisition and forced us to sell um, and they saw the commercial benefit of it. So we're a little bit disappointed in that. Um, but, but saying that, we did get legal action and we uh, fought it for about three or four years and we did end up making a 400% profit on it. Wow. It was pretty good. Yeah, we yeah, we paid about 190 for it and we ended up selling it for 880 which then gave us quite a bit of money to um, buy other properties. So I split that and bought two other big properties out of it. 
I kind of have a rule of not to sell. I like to keep my properties. Um, and at the start, I, I once we bought that one, it was 190. I thought, you know what? I could do this every year. If we buy something for 200,000 every year for 10 years, in 10 years, I'm going to have $2 million in property. Well, I kind of achieved that in three years. So I thought, okay, well, my next target's $5 million, then $10 million, then $15 million, then $20 million. And we just kept, you know, I never told my husband these goals because he'd, he'd have a heart attack. I wonder how, how it feels right now after hearing that large amount. <laughs> yeah, well, he's happy now. But um, yeah, at the time, yeah, he was he's really scared of loans. So if he knew I was just going to keep buying to to get more and more loans, then he would have freaked out. So we, we just did it one at a time. Oh, I think maybe we should buy another one now. I think we're ready for another one now. Um, but in my head, I had these goals and targets that I wanted to reach. And, and in the end, the, the value became a bit boring. I, I suppose once you got to 20 million, it's like, yeah, okay, that's boring now, the next level, blah, blah, blah. But then I started focusing on the rental income. Then I was like, no, you know, because we, we had a couple in there that would be the land banking. So even though the value was going up, your rent was, wasn't going up. It might have been going down because it was negatively geared. So so then I started focusing on the rental income and then I wanted a goal of a million dollars in rent and I actually achieved that last year. Congrats. Quite happy with that. And sometimes it wasn't buying a new property. It was just redeveloping one you already had or changing tenants and just moving things around a little bit. and. Um, changing the use of it so yeah that was that was quite that was fun over 19 years canali has built her portfolio to contain 15 properties worth over 20 million dollars altogether most of them are uh, melbourne um I, I don't do rural so they're all you know not too far from the cbd um, except our farm, which is the Yarra Valley, and that's 50 k's away, but, but it's not rural, rural. Um, and I do have two properties up in the Gold Coast as well, in Broad Beach Waters, on canals. I mean, I don't get emotionally attached to properties, but I do always have, you know, reasons why I want to buy them. And the Gold Coast one was for, you know, future retirement. Um, I thought, oh yeah, we go up there every year, we may as well get a tax deduction going up there every year so we bought a property up there and every year now when we go we do stay in hotels because that's rented out permanently but at least you can claim travel some travel expenses in going up there and kind of pays for a bit of your holiday every year since achieving her initial goals towards financial freedom her why has changed so why hasn't she retired yet my husband still does the strawberry farm and Yes, we could have retired quite a few years ago, but um, because my, my kids are still quite young, it provides a job for them as well, and it also teaches them work ethic. Like, they still see that, oh, mum and dad are successful and they're still working. So I don't want them to see mum and dad retired and not lazy, but not, you know, working every day um, with a purpose. Um, I, I just think that's really important for the kids to see by example. Yeah, and, and there's a job for them too. So my 16-year-old 
they basically can work seven days a week whenever they want to. I mean, when when we're really busy, they kind of have to. Um, we we do let them have some time to themselves. It's not that strict because we're a real ball and chain. But the, the opportunities there, like my oldest who's at uni now, um, she doesn't need to go and find a job elsewhere because she knows she can always earn income on the strawberry farm, like basically get up in the morning and work. Um, she is a professional photographer now and she does have her own work. Um, but... If she has a quiet week, she's always got a strawberry farm, so she can still earn whatever she wants to. As with most property investing journeys, not everything is a bed of roses. Canali's worst investing moment came with factories and fighting tenants. I find with property, there's always hurdles, and every property we have ever bought has always had some kind of a problem. And sometimes when there's a problem, you can um, monetize it. Like, if, if for for example, if there's a, a property that no one wants to buy, like, what's the reason? Like, there could be some issues going on. Um, like, in particular, I bought a block of factories at one stage, and the owner was one of the tenants, and and there was four other um, there was four factories, and he was causing problems with all the tenants. There was a bit of, um, they were all fighting. Some of them had to share toilets and they were locking each other out so they had to walk up the road and it, it was just a, an absolute headache and no one wanted to touch it. But um, I thought it was really good value and pretty much land value and you got good rent from it um, just because it had a few headaches and I, and I saw solutions to those problems. So we I bought that. And um, and instead of having a body corporate, obviously when you own it all, you, you have an owner's corporation. And um, so I separated off all four of the factories. So they all had their own entrance and driveway and a fence was there. I you know, built toilets in the ones that didn't have them to keep everyone separate. They had their own space, their own car park car parking spaces so no one had to overlap there was no reason to get in each other's face and cause issues um the owner uh he, he obviously left once he sold it so that was vacant and, um which created another problem for people too they didn't want a vacant um property so we leased that out um and yeah, once we fixed up all those problems and you, you go around to the tenants and say, you know, what what are your issues? How can we help you? Because if you're not happy, I'm not happy. And you sort out all their problems. They love you as a landlord. You love them as tenants. It's a two-way street. You look after everybody. And um, that's turned out to be one of my best properties. And um, just because, you know, sometimes when there's problems, you can actually fix them. Uh, is that a commercial property that you purchased? Yeah, that's a commercial property, yeah. actually had five five leases on four factories because there was a, a billboard as well, a large billboard. So, there was, was there an opportunity to also adjust the rent due to the fact that you implemented all these changes as well? Yes, yes. So, all of them had opportunities because we concreted areas, created more car parking areas, we fenced it off so they had their own locked little area. 
so um, we could increase the rent. We did that on a gradual basis, not all in one, one go. And his son also rented one of the factories and they signed him up on a $12,000 a year lease when it should have been about 36000 And it was a three by three by three. And he thought he was kind of safe for nine years, um, not noticing that there was a, you know, a, uh, rent review after the three years. So that was only a year and a half away we had to wait. And then when that came, we actually increased it to 30000 and he wasn't happy, so we left. But, you know, we, we, we got we – got yeah, what can you do, hey? Um, so we increased that to 30000 and and, um, yeah, so there was a lot of upside to it. We saw a lot of potential. But sometimes headaches can be potential. But the most exciting moment for her was when she paid only $100,000 for a property worth $1.8 million. Look, discovering the power of leverage, that one, that one was a real wow. That was an aha moment for me because we, we'd always um, wanted to pay 20 or 30% deposit on any of our properties. Um, so when this particular factory come up, sale, the, the block of four factories, when that come up for sale, I was at the auction and again, no one wanted to touch it and um, my hubby was back at the farm and I was actually going just to have a look but I took my checkbook with me just in case and I, it got passed in and at the end of it, I kind of hung around because I could see the husband and wife arguing and with the agent and and they, they wanted to sell because it was a divorce. And um, I went up to the agent and I said, look, I've got my checkbook here right now. I'm prepared to give you $1.8 million for the property um, and I'll give you a check now of $100,000 if you, you know, if you want to take it. Um, so they went back to the, the owners and they um, you know, obviously agreed on it. But, but the aha part of it was that I only put $100,000 down and I borrowed the whole $1.8 million which again freaked Hubby out, but I knew my figures. So, um, yeah, put a hundred thousand on it, and it was paying um, about one hundred twenty thousand dollars in rent. No, one hundred seventy in rent, and the loan repayments were only going to be about one hundred twenty. So it's fifty thousand dollars positive cash flow, and all I had to do was put a hundred thousand on. So. When I, when I worked out there was a 50% return on investment, I was like, wow, I can borrow the whole lot and only put, you know, $100,000 on. That's when I, I was like, wow, I love this. So my, my hubby just freaked out at the loan. You know, oh, my God, it's a $1.8 million loan. What are you doing? And I said, honey, look at the figures. We can cover it. So, obviously, you have to have equity in other properties because you've got to have the 30% equity. Um, But then I did that a couple of other times and did exactly the same thing, and they all paid, like, $50,000 positive cash flow. So, because we were earning good money from the strawberry farm, I didn't – enough to pay the deposit. I didn't need the extra – positive cash flow. So I'd always reinvest it back on or or put it back onto the loan. So I paid off my loans quite quickly. Um, 
and whatever I had from the strawberry farm too. Like it was really big for me to just pay down those loans as quick as possible. And then you're getting more equity in it, which is more borrowing power. So the power of leverage, I think, was my aha moment. So, inspired by Canale's story and her amazing aha moment, we'll continue the conversation with her in a future episode on property investry. We'll talk about her property investing strategy. So, I don't believe in taking a lot of risks, um, but I do believe in starting small and paying, paying off what you can, try and get some capital growth in it. Her success habits for property investing. I just never give up. If I believe in something, I just get focused on it. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. Also, if you haven't subscribed to receive your free property case studies that I only send out exclusively via email, you can text me your email address to 0499881040 to subscribe. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, the strategies and much more. Simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to get your free case studies. Thanks for listening. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.